coming up on Philosophy Talk. We scientists have now located a gene which we scientists believe is a big step forward in our quest to show that every bit of human behavior can be explained away mechanically. Neuroscience has looked deep into the brain. It's found neurons and neural transmitters galore. But it hasn't found a will that is free. Could freedom really be just an illusion? Free will is sometimes an illusion. Our guest is Daniel Dennett, author of Freedom Evolves. If neuroscience can predict what we're going to do, are the neuroscientists going to share their predictions with us in advance? My brain made me do it. Well, what would you want to make you do it? Neuroscience and free will, coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the campus of Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon, part of their 19th annual undergraduate philosophy conference. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner down south at the Stanford University campus. That's where Ken here teaches philosophy and where I taught philosophy for 40 years. And quite well, I, I, I have to say. So welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Now, today, we're thinking about neuroscience and free will. As our knowledge of the human brain grows, some neuroscientists have come to the shocking conclusion that there's no such thing as free will, that it's just all an illusion. Frankly, Ken, I don't buy it. <laughs> you don't buy it? Come on. What are you, some kind of... Cartesian dualist stuck in the 16th century? You think the mind is free because it's not part of material nature or something like that? No, I'm not a dualist, just the opposite. The mind is just a part of nature. It's basically the brain, the central nervous system. It's physical. But you know, we philosophers have been dealing with the problem of free will for centuries. <laughs> Without much progress, uh, you, you have to admit, our brethren haven't made much progress. No, I don't admit that at all. I think philosophers have made all kinds of progress, clarified the concept, come up with interesting theories of freedom and responsibility. Neuroscientists just ignore what philosophy has to say, and as a result, they made a complete hash of things. Come on, John, neuroscience... It's really cool. It's shown us some really surprising and personally, I think, quite disturbing things about the nature of the free will. And these disturbing things are that things that philosophy could never have anticipated on its own. Yeah, like what? Oh, cool. Well, like neuroscience shows us. Well, here's an example. That the brain, you know, actually decides what we're going to do before we're consciously aware that we've even made a decision. And that shows us what about freedom of the will? Well, it shows that it's an illusion, John. Look, yeah, admittedly, we have this subjective impression that our decisions are somehow entirely up to us. But, you know, it's really 
all done by the brain without a sliver of our conscious awareness. I think you're, you're somewhat alienated from your brain, Ken. I mean, it's really part of you. You've been reading too much Benjamin Libet. I have been reading Libet, and that's groundbreaking work. I mean, he did this cool experiment a, a while ago. He measured his subject's brain activity while they repeatedly pressed a button at random intervals, okay? Now, the subjects were asked to make a note on a clock when they first became aware of their own intention to press the button. And you know what he found? He discovered that a couple of hundred milliseconds before the subjects became aware of their intentions to press the button, before they even formed that conscious intention to press a button, their brains were already preparing the finger to move. It's, that's really amazing. Uh, somehow it doesn't amaze me. <laughs> I like to leave a lot of stuff up to my brain, including moving my fingers most of the time. On the basis of this little teeny experiment, Libet drew the wildly implausible conclusion that free will is an illusion, and that consciousness plays no role in what we decide to do. Not just in movements of our little fingers, no role at all, except possibly to veto well, decisions you... already made by the unconscious. Why wildly implausible? Well, I hate to break it to you, but Libet's experiments are are totally irrelevant. <laughs> How could you say that? Well, first of all, brains don't make decisions. People do. Second, we don't need Libet to tell us that our brain, of course, is involved in our decision-making somehow or another. Who would deny that? And besides, his experiments tell us next to nothing about how exactly the brain and consciousness are involved in decision-making. Well, okay, look, take more recent experiments by Chun Soon and colleagues. What do you think about this? They were able to accurately predict a so-called free choice up to 10 whole seconds, John, before their subjects were even aware of their own choice. Big deal. <laughs> I'll make a prediction right now. Uh, tomorrow night, if you have a choice, you won't take the beaten kale salad for your main course. Whoa! Who knew it? How can I do that? It must be magic. Mental events have antecedent causes. They're just like every other event in nature. Decisions don't just happen randomly in some vacuum. Uh, I grant you, why are you being so sarcastic? I don't, why the sarcasm? Because unlike what you seem to be assuming, being free is not being uncaused. As compatibilists like Hume argue, that is, people who think that freedom is compatible with determinism and causation, free actions are caused. They're caused. But the ones that are free are the ones that are caused by our own beliefs and desires. Of course our decision-making is enmeshed in a network of inner and outer causes. Freedom is a distinction made within that. So showing that something played a role in causing a decision couldn't possibly do anything to undermine the reality of free will. I, I see what's going on. I, I, I see what's going on here. You, you're, you're citing the authority of Hume, but he was a piker compared to Kant. Kant said compatibilism is a wretched subterfuge. It's a cheat. It's an attempt to have your free cake and eat your deterministic causation too. It won't work, John. Uh, I think if you have cake, eating it is quite reasonable. Uh, <laughs> Now I understand your fetish for neuroscience. You start off with this libertarian, that's libertarian with a little L, not a political position, just a wacko position, <laughs> uh, notion of freedom. You think that real freedom requires some kind of crazy non-physical causality. You're the Cartesian. So, of course, neuroscience threatens to upset your Cartesian apple cart. 
because it finds only physical causes, doesn't find mysterious causes. But who cares? Who takes that libertarian freedom seriously anymore? Neuroscience apparently hasn't gotten the news. I'm not sure it's so cut and dry. I mean, you're saying if you're a libertarian, well, then you should worry about neuroscience. But if you're a compatibilist like John, you needn't worry. You just can stick your head in the sand. You know, I'm not willing to concede that. But I am going to admit there's a lot more to think about here. To give us even more food for thought, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari. We sent her out to find out what we can learn about how our choices are really caused by looking at the psychology of magic. She files this report. I'm going to flip through this deck, and I want you to see one card, and not this one. That's too obvious. Pay close attention. We've all seen magic tricks before. You see a card from a deck, and some magician always knows which card you're thinking about. It's like they're reading your mind. Of course they're not. They're just manipulating your choices. I can't share the secret of, of this trick, but I can talk about the principle behind it, in that I'm trying to influence their decision without their awareness. That's Jay Olson, a professional magician and a grad student in psychiatry at McGill University in Montreal. Olson took a classic card trick and conducted a psychological study to understand why people think they have free will in situations where they're clearly being influenced. In the study, Olson exposes people to one card in the deck more than the others. It's called forcing, and it's a way to control people's selections, whether that's a card, a number, a letter. Magicians have been doing forcing for quite a while, although we don't really understand why it works. We don't really understand why magicians can influence people so well without them noticing that influence. So we figured that we could study this feature of magic using the tools of psychology. 98% of the participants in the study chose the card that Olson wanted them to pick, but only 9% realized he was affecting their choices. They thought they had the free will to pick the card they wanted. And it's not just magic tricks. Olson says this happens every day. So if somebody gently taps your shoulder when they're making a request, you're more likely to comply to that request. Or sometimes if people slightly rush your decision, then you'll be more likely to choose some particular options over some other ones. Like at a restaurant. A study from Cornell University shows people spend more money when menus don't include the dollar symbol next to the price. People are also more likely to buy the first or last menu item because it attracts the most attention. But when asked, people always say they order something because that's what they want. Think about that the next time you buy a $40 filet mignon. I think what we're finding more and more in psychology is that a bunch of the decisions that we make throughout life are heavily influenced by situational factors. Does this mean we don't have free will? Olson says that depends on your definition. When you just uh, ask people casually on the street what they mean by free will, in some studies they found one of the core components that they often mention is that the decision is, is relatively free from influences. So they're not being coerced or they're not being highly persuaded. But we are being highly persuaded, quite often. Of course, that doesn't mean free will doesn't exist at all. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Olson says that's way beyond the scope of his study. I would say, though, that this feeling of a free choice or this feeling of a free will that we have doesn't necessarily match the situation. But it doesn't have to be that way. Olson says the takeaway is to pause before making big choices. If we don't rush into our decisions, we're less likely to be affected by situational factors and more likely to have some semblance of free will, or at the very least, 
we won't be tricked into buying a $40 steak just because it's at the top of the menu. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. To hear the rest of this program, head to philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking.